Leviticus chapter 11, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying unto them, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which ye shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parteth the hoof, and is cloven-footed, and cheweth the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the hoof, as a camel, because he cheweth the cud, but that divideth not the hoof, he is unclean to you. The coney, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. And the hare, because he cheweth the cud, but divideth not the hoof, he is unclean to you. And the swine, though he divide the hoof, and be cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cud, he is unclean to you. Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch. They are unclean to you. We come now to the second part of the book of Leviticus. The first part, chapters 1 through to 10. Those chapters are about attaining fellowship with the Lord. The ground of fellowship with God and assurance of it the necessity of the sacrifice, the offerings, the fellowship with God through the sacrifice, and Christ is our offering, our sacrifice. And then chapters 8 and 10, uh, they tell of the need of the priest. There's no fellowship apart from the priesthood, and Christ is our great high priest. So chapters 1 to 7, the offerings, Christ are Sacrifice, chapters 8 to 10, the need of the priest, Christ our great high priest. And there is attaining the fellowship because of the sacrifice and because of the priest. But now in the second part of the book, chapters 11 through to chapter 27, they are about maintaining fellowship, the necessity of Walking with God, the necessity of holiness of life. They they are about sanctification, about separation. And a key verse in that part of the book is in verse 44 of this chapter, where we read, I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. So this this second part is about the maintaining of the fellowship. Chapters 11 through to 15 form the first unit in this second part. And these chapters deal with the various forms of uncleanness that one might meet in the camp or round about the camp of Israel. The chapter 11 differentiates between clean and unclean foods, animals which may be eaten or or which may not be eaten. In verses 1 to 8, we have the land animals, what can be eaten, what cannot be eaten. Then the water animals in verses 9 through to 12, whatsoever go through the waters. 
And then in verses 13 through to 23, we have the flying creatures, the birds and the insects, what can be eaten amongst them. And then verses 24 to 25 deal with uncleanness by touching the carcasses of unclean animals and contaminated vessels and such like things. So this differentiating between clean and unclean, what you can eat, what you cannot eat, what you can touch, what you cannot touch. Chapter 12 deals with the uncleanness of childbirth. And there's a reminder here of this uncleanness that is identified with one coming into the world, a sinner being born. And so we have the uncleanness of childbirth of a boy, first of all, in that chapter, and then of a girl. Chapter 13 deals with unclean disease, especially leprosy. And chapter 14 deals with the cleansing of the leprosy. And chapter 15 deals with unclean human discharges, various male and female discharges from the body. These chapters seem unusual in the Bible. But it has to be remembered that these chapters are leading up to chapter 16. And chapter 16 is, is one of the most important chapters in the Old Testament. Because chapter 16 deals with the great day of atonement. And you can't understand chapter 16 until you have been in the school of chapters 11 through to 15. You cannot appreciate the great day of atonement in Israel unless you have been taught by the Lord in chapters 11 through to 15. This is important. Chapter 16, verse 16, is a key verse in chapter 16. And what does it say? He shall make an atonement for the holy place. Because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And so the day of atonement was about the uncleanness, about dealing with the sin and the uncleanness in the camp. There is an emphasis on the uncleanness in the camp. And the Day of Atonement is for that. But they can only appreciate that Day of Atonement if they learn about their uncleanness. If they learn about the stains that come upon them as regard to ceremonial uncleanness. They become more and more conscious of this matter through chapters 11 through to 15. These chapters are designed to do that. So that the people of God will make a difference between the clean and unclean. So that they'll think in terms of clean and unclean, ceremonially unclean. But this leads them to think about what these things represent, what these things picture about the greater uncleanness of sin. So there's this portion of Scripture which makes the people of God think makes them think about what they bring into their bodies, makes them think what they touch with their hands, makes them think about where they go, what they do, 
makes them conscious of their uncleanness. And it makes them to feel the necessity for a great day of atonement. So this is all part of the blueprint for making the people of Israel holy. Their sanctification involves developing the consciousness of their uncleanness and the consciousness of the holiness of God. And our Christian experience is similar. Whenever we were converted, we we knew we were sinners, of course. We were convicted of sin to some degree. And we came to the Savior as our priest, and we depended upon him and upon his sacrifice. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were justified, we were accepted, we were brought into the fellowship. And as Christians, we know that we must be holy, and that the Lord will begin to sanctify us. He has made us his people in salvation, but there is the necessity of growth in grace and in holiness. But part of that growth, part of that sanctification, is to make us more aware of our sin. And so the Lord brings us through the school of chapters 11 through to 15. Most believers learn more about their sinfulness after they were converted. Yes, they knew enough of their sinfulness to fly to Christ for cleansing. But whenever they were illuminated and seen the light and become more conscious of the holiness of God and the requirements of God's law, their comprehension of their sinfulness intensifies. God does that. Whenever we were saved, we had only a slight understanding of our sin in its reality. It is after that we are saved and when the Holy Spirit enters and when the eyes are opened and when the light of the word shines into our heart that we more and more feel our sinfulness. This is true of God's people. Some of David's greatest pangs of conviction were as a believer. He was a believer when he penned all those psalms. And yet he has intense pangs of conviction of sin at times. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of sanctification involves bringing us into the school of chapters 11 and 15. The work of making us appreciate Calvary more. The atonement more. Part of that work brings us into this school of clean and unclean. Israel could hardly move in the camp, but everywhere this clean and unclean would come before them. This doctrine of the separation between the clean and unclean would meet them at every point of their lives, every time they ate, every time they sat down to the table, every time a baby was born. Every time something or someone died. Every time there was a body. Every time they saw blood. Every time there was a bodily issue. Every time there was a fluid issuing from the body. They would have to think of uncleanness. Uncleanness. They would have this 
discernment, this understanding. And I'm saying that there's something that parallels that in the Christian experience. Even after we're saved. You know, John Newton wrote a wonderful poem. It is quite lengthy. I would like to read it to you. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favoured hour, at once he'd answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart, and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand, he seemed instead to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my girds and led me low. Lord, why is this, I trembling cried? Will thou pursue thy worm to death? This is the way, the Lord replied. I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find them all in me. And that's how the Lord works in sanctification. He brings us into the school of chapters 11 through to 15. He makes a believer say, I am the chief of sinners. He makes us say as Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. There is uncleanness all around me. There is uncleanness in me. He makes us say, woe is me. And by this process, he makes us look more to that great day of atonement and to trust in it more and to see the need of it more and to appreciate it more. This, as far as I see, is the purpose of these chapters. To ever bring sin before the people. They cannot be holy unless they be first sin conscious. They must learn to no sin. They must discover it. They must discover it to hate it, to abhor it, to dread it, to avoid it, to seek cleansing from it. And these chapters form the school that is to teach them that. That they may never forget that they are but sinners. Dependent upon the great high priest and the great once for all sacrifice of that priest. 
Now, there are two ways to teach people. It can be done by abstract concepts, defining sin and defining holiness. God says, I am holy. But that is an abstract definition. What does it mean? How can we come to appreciate the holiness of God? We want to see it. We want to feel it. We want to understand it so as to change our lives by it. And abstract definitions don't do that in themselves. True teaching requires, as well as these abstract definitions, pictures and analogies, word pictures, uh, these analogies that make teaching interesting. They form a link with our mind, with our hearts. You know, we're really all children. Even the adults are children. We, we like picture books. We like to be shown and to see the thing rather than to have the thing just defined in an abstract kind of way. True teaching requires that kind of speaking. We need picture books to learn the great things of God. And that is why God has given us such a colourful Bible filled with imagery, filled with type, filled with pictures. God knows how to teach. And he's not a boring teacher either. And all of this differentiation, all of this in these chapters is God's picture book. Teaching us by analogy, teaching us by imagery, teaching us by pictures, types. So chapters 11 through to 15 are a picture book so that Israel will learn about sin. The true believer has a great prayer. It has two requests. Lord, show me myself. Show me my sin. But also, show me thyself. Show me the Savior. So the Jew, the sensible, thinking Jew, will know that the difference between a pig and a sheep is instructive of sin. That a spot of leprosy is instructive of sin. That a bodily issue is instructive of inherent depravity flowing out. God won't let the Jew get away from the truth of what he is. He must see it in pictures every day. And so these things aren't just about health and strength and, you know, fighting and combating sickness and infection. Yeah, that's part of it. Yes, no doubt. But that's not the main part of it. This, this is about a schoolmaster bringing us and leading us to Christ. This is about discovering 
that we live in a world of sin and that we ourselves in some, some regards and in some sense are a world of sin. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. There's uncleanness all about us. God won't let us forget that. And so the, the Jew can never forget he's a sinner. He can never forget he's in a world of sin. He walks and he sees pigs or a vulture flying or he, he sees something eating dead meat or, or at night he hears the owl. He visits a home and a meal is set before him and, and he always has to distinguish. He has to be conscious of what he eats. He goes home, he sees a dead mouse in a vessel and there is a consciousness of contamination. Now, it's not about infection. It's, it's about sinfulness and depravity. It's about God being holy. It's about separation from sin. That's what the Bible's about. That's what these things in the, the Mosaic ritual are about. The schoolmaster to bring us sinners always to Christ. Not even when, when he has a child that's born can he forget. When his wife has a little one, while he would embrace her, he is reminded she is unclean. She hath borne a sinner. Can't forget. God won't let us forget. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so by this process of discernment between clean and unclean and all the rest, God teaches Israel. For in reality, there is no moral difference between an eagle or a pigeon. The New Testament teaches us that there is nothing unclean of itself. Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. Not that which goes in defiles a man. Israel knows that. The child of God is to know that. It's not just about the, the materials. It's about the teaching. And in this school, the soul is taught to distinguish that the lessons of what really defiles are to be learned. And they are to learn them so that they may look for that great high priest, that Messiah, the real true Messiah, the real true great high priest to come who deals with the uncleanness of all their sin and depravity. They look forward to him. And they know that when he comes, in time, having fulfilled all, all these ceremonies, all these pictures, all these analogies, uh, having to practice them in daily life, will cease. In conclusion, I remind you of several things. I remind you of the word of the Apostle. 
by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's a good commentary in chapters 11 through to 15. What's this law all about? By the law is the knowledge of sin. We learn about sin here. It is true that that text primarily applies to the Lord Sinai and the Ten Commandments. But it's appropriate also for ceremonial law and statutes. These ceremonies don't save. Eating a sheep or a pig neither will get you to heaven or neither will keep you from heaven in and of itself. In Old Testament times, of course, Israel had to observe these laws and obey God in them. But they were laws for their instruction and their saving illumination. They were remembrancers of the broken law and they gave them the knowledge of sin and they improved and sharpened that knowledge of sin in their daily experience. That word of the apostle is also another commentary, as I've quoted. Our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So you see, men and women, knowledge of sin is not only important in being saved, it's also important in being sanctified. It's also important in being holy. It's important in loving Christ more. It's important in appreciating the Savior more that that a man is getting a greater understanding of his own sinfulness and depravity. The more we discern that, the more we comprehend that, the more we are sure to value Jesus Christ. And the more we are certainly to trust him you will see then that the great end and purpose of the Lord in these chapters for his people. By this school of sanctification, he would make us holy. So God has ordained this school. He doesn't instantly make us sinless. No, he lets us live our lives in a world of sin- sinfulness. He lets us be affected by sin all around, to see it, to discern it, to battle with it, Sometimes even to be stained by it. There are reasons why he works so. But whatever the reasons, that's the way of bringing us to the place where we will value him more. Where we will appreciate him more. Newton, he wanted to be sinless. He wanted to be perfectly sanctified overnight. Instead of this, he said, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. God did that to him, that he might find his all in Christ, in Christ alone. And I can tell you this, a year of this, discerning between clean and unclean, a year of Struggles, a year of battles, a year of even falling into uncleanness and trampling on something that died. and It it just made them appreciate the great day of atonement when all of that uncleanness would be dealt with. Jesus Christ is one we appreciate because he has dealt with our 
uncleanness that we discover more and more every day. May you have a Savior. May you know the Redeemer. May you flee to Christ, sinner. May you, child of God, not despair in your struggle against sin. But may you value Christ and fly to him all the more. Glory be to his name. Amen.